This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. You're hearing from Coal March and Triangle Pest Control's Donnie Shelton and PCO Bookkeepers, PCO M&A Specialist, and Turf Books Dan Gordon, as well as some of the biggest players in the pest control and lawn care industries. We're talking about what is changing in the industry and taking you straight to the front lines of what the future holds. If you're ready to grow your pest control or lawn care business, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those who are making those changes in the industry. Thank you for joining us. My name is Donnie Shelton. I am owner of Triangle Pest Control uh, and also CEO of Comarch, which offers digital marketing and sales services for the home services industry, specializing in pest and lawn. With me, as always, is my partner in crime, Mr. Dan Gordon. Dan, do you want to say hello to everyone? Hey, everyone. Uh, Dan Gordon, PCO Bookkeepers, Turf Books, uh, PCO M&A Specialists, uh, Fractionalized CFO Services, M&A work, and generally just uh, disseminating good information to the industry to help people grow their business. Generally a good guy. Is that, should generally we do that? a good guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's <it>. All right. <laughs> so with us today, uh, we have a guest, uh, Gil Gratton. So Gil uh, uh, owns a company called Virginia Green, which is a lawn care company that operates in Virginia. Uh, I met Gil a few years ago. Uh, he's part of one of our peer groups and just a terrific guy with a terrific company and a terrific um, vision. Uh, and um, so, uh, Gil, welcome. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate you inviting me to be on here today. I'm excited about this. Well, we are certainly excited to have you. And one thing I should mention just for all our listeners, the topic for today is scaling for growth in lawn care. And uh, I will tell you before we get into this, I think it's this is such a great topic because I see a lot of lawn care companies who grow pretty quick but fail to scale. So I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but you know what I mean? Like, so I think this is this is a great topic to help folks understand what it takes to do that. And so with that, do you want to introduce our guest, Dan? Well, I just did. But, uh, well, I know you did. Anyway, so Gil, uh, give us a little background. So, uh, you know, school, uh, how, how did you get into this whole thing? And uh, Yeah, so uh, my background is I, I uh, grew up in Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, started working on a golf course when I was 13 years old thought I was going to be the next Tiger Woods and uh, thought I would have a fantastic career uh, in the golf industry. And um, so went off to Clemson University after graduating from high school to get an agronomy degree and graduated from Clemson and uh, in 1989, which was a uh, great four years. And during that time, I'd worked at Kings Mill, uh, which is a golf course, sort of a community in, in Williamsburg or, uh, with three golf courses. So I spent my summers working at Kings Mill on the golf course, graduated from Clemson and went into uh, a role as an assistant superintendent working 85 hours a week on a golf course. We worked six days on, one day off. Uh, and I did that for a few years and then transitioned into a superintendent role, which was you know 12 days on and two days off. And so um, 
you know, I met my wife and she looked at me one day and said, hey, we've got weddings and things that we need to be going to and you're working too hard. And uh, I said, well, it's not that I'm working too hard. I love doing what I'm doing, but there's no life in the golf course industry. And so I started exploring my opportunities. And so uh, I went to work for Regal Chemical Company, which was uh, at the time a manufacturer and distributor. They still are uh, a southeast based uh, distributor of uh, turf care products. They had their own labels and um, we called on nurseries and lawn care companies and golf courses in eastern North Carolina. So it was a it's a lot of fun. I ate a lot of barbecue and ate a lot of chicken about that. Uh, it was a, <laughs> Great job. I knew every barbecue spot east of I-95, and I still do today. I still love going down that way and going out for lunches. But uh, so, yeah, that was that was, you know, that was sort of my, um, you know, golf course career, which was which was for a while. And obviously in the sales and, and I lived in Raleigh there, Donnie, right near you and, and worked for Regal Chemical for 10 long years. So uh, but it was a lot of fun. So when you decided to go in your own business, what what was the, you know, obviously your wife said, all right, let's go do something else. And you probably bought right into it. But, but what were some of the first things that you did? What, uh, you know, were you ever in business? Did you have family members who were in business? How did you how did you decide that uh, this is the, the way forward? Well, the, the, when I worked at Regal, which was a, is a great job and a great company, and I had fantastic customers, I spent a, a fair amount of time learning the lawn care industry. So I was calling on golf courses, nurseries, large holes, uh, uh, nurseries, 500 acre nurseries where they were doing container plants. Zelenka was a was an example of one. Then I was calling all these lawn care operators, uh, Fairway Green, EPM, uh, Eastern Turf Maintenance, uh, Turf Pride. There were a lot of them in that triangle area. And so, you know, I started realizing I was like, wow, this is a pretty good little business model. These guys are all driving new trucks every year. They have a lot of freedom. Uh, they're watching their businesses grow because obviously I was selling product to them. And I was like, wow, so you need another tote, huh? Where, where is this going? You know, or you need another drum or you need a couple more cases this year. So I was watching these guys grow their businesses and I thought, well, this is a great idea. Uh, it's something that I can do. And so about three years before I left Regal, I started really diving into the, hey, writing a business plan coming up with a strategy, coming up with a name, doing all the legal work and everything like that uh, in order to start a lawn care company. And of course, you know, I was scared to death. Uh, I said, you know, is this going to succeed? I'm, I'm giving up a great job with a lot of fun eating barbecue every Friday to go and start a lawn care company. And um, so at the end of the day, it worked out great. It took about three years to do basically the the whole planning, mapping, strategizing, getting the names, getting the legal work done and, and really setting up shop here in Virginia. And so uh, once you started it, it looks like you started out uh, um, uh, with four employees. I know when I started my business, it was with one employee and it was me. Uh, what <laughs> how'd you get uh, these others to 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 take a leap, leap of faith with you? Yeah, so it's it's funny. A, a lot of people I talk to uh, when they started, when I'm talking with somebody who's starting a lawn care business, says, "Yeah, I'm out spraying lawns and I can do 200 lawns." And I said, "Well, that's great, fantastic. You know, you're running estimates, you're filling your own truck, you're doing this and that." My strategy was I hired a uh, technician uh, and two salespeople because I knew that 
we needed to get as many accounts as we could that first spring. It, it, you know, I didn't want to go out and sell 25 or 50 accounts or 100 accounts or whatever and service them myself. My role was, hey, I'm going to sell. I hired two salespeople to go out and sell. And to be honest with you, my technician sold for the first two months. I hired him in December. He went to work in January and he knocked on doors. All four of us knocked on doors for the first 60 days before we ever even sprayed the first lawn. So we had already sold a couple hundred accounts before we even went out the door spraying any lawns. That, that was sort of our strategy. I knew we needed to get some critical mass because to support a company long term, you've got to have critical mass. You've got to have a lot of customers. So that uh, that that clearly um, uh, kind of set the stage for um, how many employees do you have today? Uh, we have about 230 currently, and uh, we're always looking for great people. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Donnie's taken. <laughs> yeah. Oh no! I you said great people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, great point. Yeah, good. Well, hang on though. That, I think this is really important because. Um, what you just said, there's a there's a big point in there, and I just want to clarify and make sure folks heard it. Uh, out the gate, your take on it was, my job is to work on the business and to grow the business. It's not to service accounts. And I think that's a key differentiator. And I think it's a thing that um, a lot of folks think that they're saving money. Um, oh, I'll go and do it myself. But the reality of it is, is that if you want to build and, and scale a business, you absolutely cannot be... Uh, you, I mean, there's only so much time in the day, right? There's only so much you can do. And so just that perspective that you had is, hey, my role is to build this business. It's not necessarily to do the work, even even when you had zero account. So kudos to it, you it, on that. It, it, Donnie, and it really, it's, you know, for me, I knew what we were going to lose the first year. You know, I was like, I know we're going to have all these salaries. I know we're going to have all these people working. But to, to build critical mass is, is important. You, you just, and, and everybody knows this, you can't sell 100 accounts and be successful. You've got to sell three to 400 accounts in the lawn care business to justify a full round. And in our world today, it's, it's well over 400 accounts per route. So, I mean, you know, you think, all right, how do I scale this so that I get one service leader or one technician? And then all of a sudden I need 400 more accounts. Now I'm at 800. So, you know, I'm adding my second truck and I'm getting ready to add my third truck at 1200. You guys know that's that's what's the complication in, in, in our business model is when to pull the trigger and do it. And, and whatever resources you have to do to get there as soon as possible is what's important. Yeah, you know, what's Correct. interesting. There's a couple of ways to make money. You can stay really small and do all the work yourself. And, uh, you know, you show these great margins because you don't have any office people because you're doing the office work and you're doing the sales work and you're doing the tech work. But the way to really make money in this or any service business is to get to a point where you are running a, a, a business. And, and the, the number I like to look at is a million dollars as quickly as possible. Once you're at a million dollars, then you mm -hmm. can bring in a right hand man or woman or whatever. Uh, um, when, when did you first uh, bring in that right-hand person? So, you know, I'd say we were probably three years in, somewhere in the 1,500 account range, something like that. We were probably five employees, maybe six. We, we, we really brought in, I brought in an operations manager, uh, somebody to run. You know, I was running all the service requests at the time, 
which was uh, very time consuming for me. And uh, so I brought in somebody for operations who basically was in charge of running all the service requests and uh, doing all the scheduling and sort of managing the guys. I mean, when you're five or six or seven service leaders, it's pretty self-managing. So when you start scaling above that, you got to have training and other aspects of that really makes it tough. You know, it's, so, e it's easy. Five is easy. It's, you know, it's the next five that starts to get tougher. And then after you get over 10, then all of a sudden you need management of those people. So it's really, it's tough. So one of the things that you uh, talk about is challenges. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that you, you put down, we have a little questionnaire that we send folks out and uh, said waiting too long to hire key positions, um, which I totally get what you mean. But could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so, you know, everybody that starts their business is looking at their P&L and saying, OK, uh, do I have enough money to hire this person? or Do I have enough money to buy this truck? And, you know, my philosophy all along has been we need to spend money to grow. We need to have trucks and resources. Um, you know, I, 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 I say I waited too long. I mean, it's it's worked out. But at the end of the day, key positions within our organization, like a sales manager, an operations manager. Um, you know, one of our key positions is our marketing director, to be honest with you. it's uh, We're a big marketing company. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the lawn care piece of it is relatively easy. Spraying lawns and killing weeds and making them look good. But how do we grow your customer base and having marketing is, is critical. An HR director, you know, we, it's, you know, everybody says, well, I don't really need an HR director because they're not really making any revenue for us. But these some of these non-revenue positions that we have are critical hires because they've taken over everything else and they're managing all these aspects of things, such as leadership development or you know, all the stuff that's associated with the, the, the small business owner. I mean, in, in my world, I, I'd like to sell every day. That's what I love doing. You know, I'd like to sell. I like to meet people. I like to be out in the field. I like to talk to homeowners. And I don't want to have to worry about the rest of the stuff. And so, yeah, hiring people is a difficult challenge. It's a challenging, you know, when do you hire that person? But at the end of the day, don't wait forever to hire that key person to help you out. So do you, did, did you ever... Uh go to bed thinking, geez, how am I going to pay for this guy? But okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll make it up. Yeah, Dan, I didn't sleep for years. You probably, you know, <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, I'd lay in bed at night thinking, oh my God, I got to take care of A, B, C, D, and E, and F tomorrow. And, uh, you know, it's, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it certainly helped my sleep patterns to, ha to, to have some of the people that I have working for me today. But uh, yeah, it, it is very challenging to, even hiring your first technician, you know, if you're out spraying lawns yourself and all of a sudden you say, okay, I'm going to run estimates this spring and I'm going to hire somebody else. Well, you know, it's hard to find somebody for thirty-five dollars or $40,000 a year that you trust to do that job and go out and do it so that you can go do something else. And, and I, you know, I would encourage anybody that's listening today to think, you know, don't wait forever to fill those key positions. And, and you know, sales and marketing in my world is key. So bringing this back around to the title, Scaling for Growth in Lawn Care, what I'm hearing loud and clear so far is, number one, make the key hires early. And number two, um, and, I, and I know, you know, Gil, I think you're, you're, I think most owners, I shouldn't say all, but most, I think most of them are either marketing or salespeople. That's typically how they get into business, right? They're usually pretty good at it. Maybe not great at it, but they're at least pretty good at it. 
And, and so number one is hiring the key positions. Number two is keeping the focus on marketing and sales. And so one of the things that you said early on was that you guys went out and knocked doors. Um, talk to me now about kind of what's, what's your sales and marketing strategy now? I mean, are you continuing to knock on doors? Or are you, I, I mean, obviously I realize it's, it's, I'm sure it's gotten a lot more sophisticated and a lot bigger, but can you just kind of walk through the fundamentals of what you're doing to grow the so, business? Yeah, it's, um, so we have a really strong marketing department. A few years ago, we hired uh, a lady from Capital One, uh, Pam Morsey. She's fantastic. She was basically running their credit card division uh, here in Richmond. So, you know, how you get the little credit, the uh, credit card application things every day in your mailbox from Capital One, they uh, send out the solicitation. So anyway, she's got a great marketing background. And you know, we, we sort of all of a sudden started generating a lot of leads. You know, leads are expensive. Uh, we, we're, you know, whether it's internet, Google, Bing, whatever we're using, we are driving a significant number of leads. We had 21,000 leads last year that we had to that we had to manage. And so the whole sales department has evolved into a sales manager with a handful of sales reps into a sales manager. Now we have an inside sales manager. Uh, we have 12 inside sales reps. Uh, in Northern Virginia, we have a door-to-door -door team strategy, Donnie. So we are, you know, last year COVID crushed our door-to-door -door teams. They wouldn't let us go out and do it. We're back up and running this year in Northern Virginia. So, um, you know, our service leaders are knocking on doors. Um, anything we can do to try to generate an activity of sale or a, a lead of some kind. Um, you know, all of our technicians have a goal for the year of 15 program sales and their bonus is tied to it at the end of the year. They have to sell 15 sales. And we'll have some guys that'll sell 50 and some guys will sell 10, but we go out, if they're ahead in their production, we make them go out instead of giving them an afternoon off, we make them go out and knock on doors and try to generate sales in the areas that they work in. So, yeah, I mean, it's um, sales has evolved for us. We used to have guys that went out and measured all, all the lawns with uh, measuring wheels and we'd hang invoices on the door. Now our primary strategy is an inside sales force where they're, you know, we're handling the inbound calls, we're measuring them online, but we still have a lot of uh, interaction out in the field. So one of the things that you uh, had mentioned was uh, branding and, um, you know, go heavy on, on branding. And one of the things that we always uh, see and hear and, and is the direct response, you know, the, the, the direct mail, the, the pay-per-click, things that are measurable. Um, but branding is definitely, you know, so when you get to that crowded place, your mailbox with all of the offers, they know about your company. Um, but at what point do you have enough money to make an impact branding in a market? Richmond, I mean, it's not, you know, Atlanta or New York, but it's still a pretty good sized market. It's got to be pretty expensive to to put all that money into into branding. Yes, yeah, so you know, Dan, early on, um, there's there's lots. There's a there's an agency in town called the Martin Agency, and they did Mercedes Benz. They do UPS. Uh, so there's a lot of marketing talent in the Richmond market. And I partnered with Aurelia Lewis from Lewis Media Company, and she was really instrumental in saying, hey. You know, you've got to create brand awareness. And so, you know, and this was in year, year two, I guess, our second year, I was on the radio. 
doing radio ads. Um, you know, they helped us develop a radio campaign where we were doing radio ads. And I think that maybe the third year was the year we started doing TV commercials. And, you know, we didn't see necessarily a direct return. It wasn't like our TV ad was, you know, we, I, the, the ad would go off and I'd say, all right, is the phone ringing? And everybody would say, no, no, we're not getting any calls. And I'm like, well, oh, my God, we just spent $200 on a TV ad. And at the end of the day, um, you know, we didn't get any response. But what we did was build brand awareness uh, of our company. And, you know, we had TV ads running. We had radio. We had billboards had billboards out on the interstates here in Richmond. Um, you know, we were spending a significant amount of money on things. And, and, you know, obviously, when you key in an account in whatever software you're using, it asks you for the source code. We had no idea on a lot of things, but we suspect it's probably TV or radio or some of these things were driving them, uh, not just referrals and trucks and yard signs and things like that. So it was, uh, you know, creating the brand awareness. And we spend significant amounts of money today on TV ads. It's funny. We used to do the NCAA tournament and the Masters. That was always a sort of a package deal that we could buy uh, from CBS. So we would be running right there during uh, the first, you know, two weeks or so of March during NCA March Madness. And then we turned around and followed it right up with the Masters Tournament. And so we had great response during that time frame on our TV ads. I mean, that you could sort of tell that we were getting a fair amount, but you could never source it to say, oh, you know, I saw you wherever. It was hard to tell. But the brand awareness portion of the thing is great. I mean, our TV ads, our lawn signs, our trucks, everything is consistent. Everything looks the same, really looks great. It's the same message. It's the same brand. It's the same colors. But at the same time, you're doing uh, uh, direct mail and um, an Internet marketing, pay-per-click and whatnot. Oh, yeah. No, all of that was going on as well. Going so on you spend well, a so. lot of money. So so do, do, do you have a budget at the beginning of the year? Or do you just dial it up? Do you dial oh, it back? No, 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 no. We have a we have a marketing budget and a plan. And, you know, we know, as I mentioned earlier, we generated 21,000 estimates last year. Our goal this year is 25,000 estimates. So, uh, you know, we're going to be up 20 percent. And I and I really, you know, knowing our history over the last couple of years, we'll certainly certainly eclipse that number, I would suspect. You know, we, we increased our marketing budget by about seven or eight hundred thousand dollars this year. So we're spending, you know, lots of money on marketing because at the end of the day, you got to let pe people have to know who you are. You've got to reach them. You've got to interact with them. You have to constantly remind them they may not buy when that, you know, direct mail piece shows up in the mailbox. But a month later, when they see your ad on TV or they hear you on the radio or they see the billboard, they're going to call you and sign up for the service. We have great brand awareness. People know exactly who we are, which is great. So, so uh, for, obviously, this is not this is an audio, uh, uh, but uh, Virginia Green has a a dog that looks yeah. like Petey <laughs> from the Little Rascals that everybody knows. Um, had that oh, yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, that little Jack Russell. He's the richest Jack Russell in the world uh, for all the money we paid him in talent fees. But you know, I, when I run into people, and, you know, if I'm out in town or whatever, everybody asks me, "Says that your dog? Is that your dog?" And uh, I'm like, "No, it's not my dog." And everybody wants to volunteer their dog to be in our commercials. But yeah, his name is Buster, and uh, 
Buster is the richest Jack Russell in Richmond, Virginia. I can tell you that. We've made him a lot of money over the years. <laughs> I think we've produced uh, we've produced probably eight TV commercials and um, maybe eight or nine. And you know they always feature this little dog running around in the yard. Everybody gets all excited, and it's just great. It's been great for us. It's great brand awareness. Our yard signs have a picture of Buster on the front. It says "Respect the Lawn," and uh, has a picture of Buster on there. So it's great. So let's let's shift gears here for a second because you know I think anytime we talk about growing and scaling a service company, there's really two sides of this equation, right? There's the marketing and sales. And and obviously Colmarch, you know, we we do a lot on that side of the house. But we also get folks that call us and say, Hey, I need you to pull the throttles back. I can't staff fast enough. I can't get enough people. And so there's this other side of of, of that equation, which is getting great people, retaining great people, developing great people. Can you kind of talk us through a little bit of, of kind of what's your strategy there? I, and by the way, I love what you're saying about marketing and branding and just sales in general. I, I, you know, all I can say is amen, brother, on that one. But but let's let's talk through the other side, which is, you know, the whole people side and being able to service all that. Yeah, no, it's uh, the the people side of the equation, and, and Donnie is is the challenge, and you know this. It's it's um, it's great to sell them. We could probably sell all day long. Getting getting the work done is a challenge, and um, and finding the right people to do it like we want it done, and uh, so. We really work very hard. We have a full-time training coordinator now. Uh, we have about uh, 140 service leaders, and we have a full-time training coordinator, and he has somebody working with him. So we have two full-time people who are responsible for onboarding. So when somebody starts with us, they have a six-week training program where we're doing agronomic work. We're doing in-the-field work. They uh, have somebody that they ride with. For a few weeks where they learn the services and learn how to do it and skills and all that that they need how to talk to customers all this stuff is covered in our training program on the front end and then you know we have a stair-stepped approach for our, our service leaders once they get out in the field and they're on their own we go check up on them all the time they have a what we call a regional team leader who's responsible for them making sure that they're getting the work done do they have everything they need and then we uh, really do a great job of a lot of handholding for months uh, to make sure they're on board. But, you know, one of the other things we implemented a few years ago was a, uh, a, a sort of a leadership development for our service leaders, our technicians. You know, so many of them start and uh, they don't know anything about the business. We hire very few people from our competitors. We don't want all their bad habits. We want to train them and, and, and make sure that they know what's going on and they're doing the job properly. And so, you know, a very intensive training program. Then they roll up into they're out in the field. We have a lot of follow up with those guys. And we have a basically a ladder within our organization. So if you start at Virginia Green and, and as a service leader and you, you're a new guy in the field, you're basically a registered technician when you start and then you work your way up our ladder. And, and, and in that process, you earn more money. We pay uh, every time that, you know, they don't come to us and say, hey, I want to make more, more money next week. If they grow within our organization and they move up from, say, a territory manager to a commercial manager to a master technician as our top level, they get paid more with, it, with, with each one that they go up, each, each level that they go up, and their bonus program goes up with each level. So we've sort of reward those guys who want to stay in our organization and work their way up the ladder. 
Nice, nice. And then um, the other question I have is, so so there's marketing and sales, uh, branding, then there's, of course, the people side. What are some things, some key nuggets that you feel or some at least some advice to share with folks who, let's just say, I, I mean, one of the things I see is I see a lot of folks who go to a million dollars in lawn. Some may make it to two, maybe even three. And then they, they kind of flatline, right? They, I don't want to say they flatline that they're dead, but I mean, their growth substantially drops off. What's some advice you can give to folks who are wanting to scale and, and get themselves kind of the next level in lawn? Yes, so early on in my career, I uh, participated. There's a there's a group called SCORE, uh, the Senior Corps of Retired Executives, and uh, it's a uh, I, I think it's run through the Chamber of Commerce, at least in this area, it is. And and so basically, you uh, you have a business coach, uh, uh, and and it was funny that the three guys that I had had all been executives. One of them was at Revlon. One of them worked for a large marketing agency in New York. And these, these were guys that had retired to Williamsburg, Virginia. I actually went down to Williamsburg and there's a huge group of retired executives down there. And so, you know, I had these guys and they were sitting around the room and they had run these hundred million dollar, you know, huge companies. And they would look at me and say, why don't you hire this? Or why don't you do that? And I said, well, I don't have the money. And they said, you don't have any idea uh, how much money you have until you hire the right people. And so, Having a mentor, having a consultant, having a one another lawn care guy, uh, whether it's me or whoever it is, uh, assist. Having somebody like Score uh, Chamber of Commerce groups. I'm in a couple of I'm in a couple of groups, a couple of lawn care peer groups. Uh, I'm in a chamber group, which is really good. It's uh, 12 business leaders from everybody owns their own company, and they're all different businesses. So. For me, I get perspective on running a law firm or running an accounting firm or running a HR business and that kind of thing. So it's great to to get out. It's not necessarily a BNI type thing where you're looking for leads. This is more like, hey, how do I help? How do I grow my business and how do I get better? Having people that assist you along the way uh, outside of the lawn care business or pest control for that matter, um, that, that really participate and know you and know your business and know how to help you grow is great. I mean, we 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 found our HR director through that group. Um, it's it's just been great having outside people outside of the industry really help me grow a business per se. So I would be remiss if I didn't uh, switch gears real quick about operations and some of the things that you do as with your background, uh, you know, as an agronomist and as a salesperson and. Uh, uh, the first time I came down to see your place, uh, looking at the fill stations that you built and and uh, mixing uh, the product and the probably one of the most incredible exercises I've seen in terms of these the, these fill stations bringing in 50 or more trucks, just spending two three minutes filling up and then pushing pushing ahead. So how did all of that start? And um, uh, if somebody wanted to get involved with that, how would you recommend that they do that? Is that? Yes. So the, the good news is that we're uh, unlike Donnie down there, that's got Bermuda grass and St. Augustine and centipede and zoysia and all that fescue. We, we are uh, 95 plus percent fescue. So it's fairly consistent in our world uh, that we're treating the same grass every day. And so, you know, from an agronomic standpoint, it doesn't change a lot between uh, 
you know, March and April, you're basically doing the same similar thing, which is killing weeds and, you know, fertilizing lawns and putting down pre-emerge. And so my relationship at Regal on the manufacturing and distribution side allowed me to have relationships with the large chemical companies, the Bayer's and the BASF's uh, Nutrien, which is a fertilizer company, uh, Houston and PCS, Georgia Pacific and those guys. And so, you know, I knew early on that, that, you know, one of the ways that we could keep our product costs down was to use these uh, batch systems per se and to use large volumes of things. So we buy truckload quantities of urea, truckload quantities of 2,4-D, truckload quantities of surfactant. And we work very closely with the manufacturers and even distribution to, you know, get the best pricing. Our, our product cost last year was about 12% of our operation, which is fairly low in the overall scheme of things for uh, compared to long, especially when we bought, you know, 25 truckloads of grass seed and, and you know, three quarters of a million dollars worth of fungicides. So it's, it's um, you know, keeping our product costs down is, is, seems to be the only job I have left at Virginia Green these days other than selling. It's just uh, keeping our product costs down. But no, you're, you're right. It's um, having a relationship with the distribution, forecasting your needs, not just going and buying a pallet of this or a pallet of that because I need it for the week, but really having some organization where you're buying full truckloads and you're, you know, getting the best price and not just swinging by the store and picking up what you need for the next day or two is is uh, is important. And and when you're using when when you're loading up the truck for the next day, you don't really think about if you have five trucks and it takes 20 minutes. Who cares, right? Maybe it's an hour, but when you have 50 or more trucks, how how long does it take to fill up one truck and move him or her along? Yeah, we can we can fill a truck in about three minutes. Um, you know, wow. I, it's funny. It's funny because, uh, you know, really need to watch. for years we used to stick to go. Well, I shouldn't say for years. We had we had mixing systems in year in year three, I should say. But sticking a garden hose in the top of a truck and then, hey, did you put this in or, you know, they're always talking and, and everything else. Nobody's paying any attention. Did you put the 24D in or did you put the trimac in or did you put this in or whatever and nobody's paying attention and the next thing you know somebody's forgot to put something in and anyway yeah no we've got great operational and the good news dan is that it only takes three minutes to fill a truck so they can do two extra stops because if you're sticking a hose in the top of the truck and you're spending 30 to 40 minutes filling a truck every day we can do it in three minutes and you know in, in today's world too None of our technicians are handling any product anymore, any concentrate. There's no, you know, they're not in the chemical room per se. They're not mixing and, and doing all that. And from the safety factor, really has made a big difference in our world. And, I, and, and, you know, I'm cognizant of that as we go forward. You know, the exposure to concentrates uh, in our industry, you got to be really careful about a lot of those things. Excellent. Excellent. Any advice that you would give? I mean, we, I'm going to come back off of operations here real quick and we just have about five minutes left before we need to wrap up here but any kind of parting thoughts that you would give to a listener who again going back to this this person who and by the way you've given tons of great advice here i i, I think this has been a great podcast that that you feel like these were the key things that really made a difference in allowing us to scale uh, obviously all of it is additive all of it works. What would you consider to be kind of the, the foundational core part? 
Well, you know, Donnie, I think a lot of it is planning, you know, knowing where you want to be. Uh, it's, it's funny. I, I, uh, we know in July, the year before, what our revenue is going to be the next year. So we really start budgeting and planning. And it's not just, hey, where are we? And let's look at our spreadsheet to see how many bags of something we need to order. You know, it's really, it's, you know, how many estimates are we going to get next year? How many leads are we going to get? What's our close percentage? How many salespeople do we need to handle that? Really lots of preparation and planning in order to continue to grow. And, you know, we do a lot of market research now. There's plenty of market research available. We know uh, what streets are good. We know what zip codes are good. Uh, where should we be sending our, where should we be spending our dollars, our marketing dollars? We're really honing in on some of those things. It's, it's getting a lot easier than just putting a yellow pages ad in the in the yellow pages book and you know throwing it on somebody's front porch and hoping that they call you. Nowadays, you can target specific neighborhoods, you can target specific streets. You know, knowing what the dynamic, you know, like we we've been in Northern Virginia now. This is our second year in Northern Virginia, and I really kicked myself a little bit for going to some of the other markets because I should have started my business in Northern Virginia. I mean, it just the opportunity is so great up there. Uh, in Fairfax and Loudoun County, and here we are down here in Richmond. Don't get me wrong, Richmond's wonderful, and we love everybody that lives here. But just you know, preparing and knowing and strategizing and having a business plan in advance. The plan and a budget is important, really is. How far do you budget in advance? Do you go out five years, or do you say, well, in year five I want to grow this much, but the, the real detail is for a year because we find that after a year, it all comes apart and you have to do it again. Yeah. What do you no, we, we, so we have a solid three-year business plan, very solid, that gets updated quarterly. So, um, and, and primarily it's personnel. It's not necessarily that you're updating revenues per se, but it's like, okay, what do we need next year personnel-wise? Do we need a VP of agronomy? Do we need a VP of sales? Do we need another RTL. So we really dive into the people side of things, Dan, trying to figure out where we want to be a year or two from now, three years from now. So we have a very solid three-year business plan. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. No, it's good. It's, um, you know, planning and preparation. It's hard for a small business guy to do it if he's one truck and he's out spraying lawns every day. But if, if he's, you know, he's got people working for him that are doing that, then they have an opportunity to, to do those things. And I would say also, you know, a lot of folks are, they feel like they're not very good at it. And so they avoid it and it's almost to their peril, right? It's like, it's, I know it, one of the things I, I mean, you know, early on is like, well, you don't know, no one has a crystal ball, right? And so you always feel like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm way out of my comfort zone. And is this even right? But I think the process is just as important as the product, especially when it comes to planning, because it forces, it forces you to really think through what, what could happen, what you want to happen, and then, you know, how best to, I mean, again, it's like most things, the more you're in front of it, the, the less you are uh, um, to be a victim. So if it were easy, everybody would be doing it, right? So right. That's, right. That's yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny. I worked for a guy years ago, and he said, when you get up on Monday morning and you turn the ignition at 8 a.m., what's your plan for the day? What's your plan for the week? And what's your plan for the month? You know, yeah. and, and, uh, just having that plan in place and knowing where you're going and what you want to do and how to achieve it. You know, how many estimates do I want to get? It's, it's, it's not rocket science. It's basically a math equation. You should easily be able to figure it out. Oh, I agree. I agree. 
And with that, Dan, do you have any other closing thoughts, closing questions? Gil, by the way, this has been wonderful. Thank you so awesome. much for, for yeah. joining us here yeah. on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me today. Yeah, yeah, great, great advice. Um, I think our listeners are going to get a lot from from your program and from your knowledge. And so thank you very much for sharing your time. And and with that, I'm going to close us out. And, you know, obviously we, you know, Dan and I like sharing information with others. We want to help, uh, help you grow your business, of course. And so if you like this podcast or any of other podcasts, please uh, don't forget to rate or review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever it is that you listen to. And with that, we'll close out this session. Gil, thanks again. Thank you very much. And uh, look forward to seeing everyone next time. All right. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Thanks, Donnie. See you now. Bye-bye.